0: Now I'm going to uh, read from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. This is an account of one of Jesus' first appearances since his resurrection uh, to some of his bewildered disciples before ascending to heaven. Uh, The words will appear on the screen, or you can follow along on your phone or pew Bible. That's Luke, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while he still not to believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? He gave them a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God.
1: Thanks, Green. So this week we are looking at Jesus appearing to the disciples and then ascending to heaven. This is coming back off the back of the resurrection last week when we heard Stuart speak about the five ways it orientates us from the cross to the empty tomb, from death to life, from our troubles to the steady hand of God, from sadness to joy and towards life in the spirit. And some of what we speak about today will echo a lot of that. The passage here is the final words of the Gospel of Luke, which thematically and authoritatively runs straight into Acts of the Apostles. If anybody noticed the word that I just made up there, then they get a free tea and a biscuit afterwards in the coffee bar, Okay. So last week we heard uh, from Luke about the woman finding the empty tomb and then Peter racing off to see for himself. And in between then and this morning, there is the story of Jesus appearing to two of them on the road to a mess and then coming back with them, breaking bread with them and then disappearing as soon as their eyes were opened to see that it was him. So now we're in Jerusalem. Okay? It's the, the 11 remaining disciples are there and, and some others are there as well. There's at least Cleopas who's been mentioned in the earlier verses. And there have been about 40 days between the resurrection and now. Across the four gospels, we see that there are a number of these appearances of Jesus. And I'm sure it's, it's clear to say that there is confusion among Jesus' followers at this point. And then we have these first words of greeting as he says to them, peace be with you. So at a very basic level, this was a fairly typical greeting. It would be a bit like us saying, hope you're well. But in this moment, coming from this man, from the risen Jesus, it means so much much more. The word peace means a lot to us in this country. When we come from Northern Ireland, it's it's a big deal to talk about peace, especially thinking on a week where we've just had the President of the United States come to commemorate the Good Friday Agreement. We've all heard so much about peace in Northern Ireland, about its strengths and its weaknesses, about its feelings and its successes. We are much Different place in this country now than we were 25 years ago because of the peace that we have. I would say a much better place. But this word peace, as Jesus speaks it in this moment, means a lot more than simply ceasefire or political hand holding or putting up with each other's differences. This piece that he mentions was shalom. It speaks of wholeness and harmony, of things being the way they ought to be. And this is exactly the piece that Jesus' presence here displays Him being able to be alive physically in this room with them, His risen nature, being able to speak, eat, teach with them, and then to rise again. It shows that the brokenness of this world has been overcome because he has defeated death, has overcome death. All that went wrong back in the Garden of Eden is now being corrected. Peace be with you. And we live in this same post-resurrection life. It might not look like it sometimes when we look around us and see the mess of the world. Because there's a tension until Jesus comes back. When he comes back to to fully redeem everything, to bring his kingdom in its fullness. But we do live in this post-resurrection life. So we can know this peace that Jesus offers. We sing these words often. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I... No, he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. When Jesus turns up alive and says, Peace be with you, he's speaking to this confused group of followers who had lost their rabbi, whose last actions were to reject him and let him be led off by the authorities to be killed. Yet his first words are, peace be with you. It's okay. It's all right now. No fear, no guilt. Peace comes with this risen Lord. Looking at the rest of this passage, there are three things I want want to speak about. They are the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection the realization of what Jesus' death and resurrection means, and then our response to Jesus' death and resurrection. I can only apologize mostly to my wife for the alliteration that I'm using. So first, verses 37 to 43 speak to this reality of what's happened. Verse 37, it says, They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So here we have seven verses very much focused on this physical nature of Jesus. He's here in the flesh. His body standing among them. Shows them his hands and feet. Talks about his flesh and bones. They see him. He speaks to them. He asks for food and he eats. He encourages them to use their their senses. To see. To hear. To feel. This is God In human form, raised from death on a cross, physically in their presence. I think sometimes we can separate the two Jesuses, where we think before the cross, we think of this this human Jesus in a human body, going around and doing miracles, um, but it's a human and we can imagine that. And then we have this post-resurrection Jesus, who has... Wounds and holes and, and cuts in his body. He's a bit like a zombie to us, I think. And, and we can maybe easily gloss over him. We're maybe thankful that there's only a few verses that speak about him. But there's good reason for these times when he appears to the disciples. Firstly, look at the contrast in verse 37 with what Jesus commanded them back in John 14, verse 27. This was just a few weeks before. Um, The last time he was with the disciples before the Garden of Gethsemane when he was taken off to to be killed. So in this last time spent with them, Jesus said to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the word gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And yet as they see him return to them, they are startled and frightened. So the disciples, have, they've gone through the mill a little bit. They've failed their leader. Then they've, they've lost their leader. He's been murdered. Then the body disappears. It's gone. And then they hear of him appearing to people. And then all of a sudden, he's right there with them. They're confused. The whole thing is a little bit frightening. So what does Jesus do? He comes to them on their level. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't question how they would possibly feel him in those moments, how they still don't quite get what's going on with this death and resurrection. Instead, he stoops down to earth. He shows them his physical wounds, reassures them that it is he, it is their Jesus, this Jesus that they know and love. And he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you to those closest to him who had failed him the greatest. They needed to experience his resurrected body, to hear his forgiveness, to know this peace. Because despite what Jesus having done being a huge thing that restored the relationship of humanity to its creator, that defeated the power of death on a global scale, that has paid for all of our wrongs, He cared for them on a personal, intimate, physical, individual layer as well. Think about how we act when little children get hurt or when they've been naughty and we need to correct them. Do we stand at the head of the table and direct a speech? Do we just stand in front of the TV and yell at them? To be fair, sometimes we do. That happens a lot in our house, far too much but it's not the best way, is it? No, we, we get down on a level with them, don't we? We step down, we look them in the eye, we hold their hands, we rub their sore knees, we embrace them, we speak to them in words that they understand to explain what's going on, to explain what needs to change. They need to know our closeness, our physical presence. They need to know that they can trust us to be there for them in these moments to understand them, to love them, to heal them, to correct them, to lead them. And the disciples needed to understand this as well. They needed to understand it wasn't just a massive spiritual religious thing that had happened. It was the renewal of everything, including Intimately, their individual circumstances, their individual physical beings, intimate, physical, all encompassing victory. And we need to grasp that as well. This isn't just a story for us to celebrate each spring, a nice story about the underdog, you know, winning the victory. This was the God man physically in the room with them, alive in body and spirit, with love, compassion, and forgiveness, saying, peace be with you. Because what he'd done had achieved peace for all who knew him. This death and resurrection of Jesus was real. There's a reality to what happened. And they experienced this reality of the risen king, and he asked them for something to eat. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. It doesn't get much more real than being in a small locked room with the smell of broiled fish being cooked. Verses 44 to 49 go on to say this. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the, on the third day. And repentance for this forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There's so much going on in this passage. Um, And before we move on to the next point, I just want to make a couple of clarifications. Firstly, when Jesus speaks of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, he's speaking to the whole of the Old Testament. Um, In those days, the scriptures were thought of in three parts, and the Psalms was the, the start of the third part. So when he says this, he means, what is written about me in the scriptures? I think it's also helpful for us to note very briefly the significance of Jesus' note that the gospel would be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. A lot of emphasis can be placed on Jerusalem and some of that can at times be maybe misguided. But I believe there is important significance to be drawn from this. At a very basic level, Jesus is stating that the first people to hear this good news would be the people, the very people, who put him to death. Jesus comes with this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name, and the first people offered are the ones who failed him the most and the ones who put him to death. None are too far from God's incredible grace. Jesus doesn't hold grudges by specific sins that you think are beyond his reach. His grace covers all. If you're sitting here today thinking, what would God want of me? Or how would a holy God be willing to forgive me and what I've done? Remember that the first to hear were his failing disciples and then those who put him to death. Romans 3 tells us this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save all who have faith in him. He began at Jerusalem, and this demonstrated that nobody can be. Nobody is left out. All have access to this grace. No sin is too great for our Lord. So back to our main points. We've seen the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, his physical hands and feet, his humanness, his stooping down in intimacy to speak to his children, and now. We'll think about the realization or the achievement, what was fulfilled by Jesus' death and resurrection. There are three parts to what Jesus says and says here. He he talks about the fulfillment of Scripture and He tells of how he is sending out as witnesses, sending them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the middle, the central point of these verses is his opening of their minds to understand. You see, while the disciples had been with Jesus, lived with him, been taught by him, followed him, served with him, they still weren't able to fully grasp what had happened, what had been accomplished by Jesus on the cross and in rising from the tomb. There was an article this week in the Times that caused a bit of a stir among some Christians. You might have seen it. It was by a popular columnist called Matthew Paris. To be honest, it was probably really what you could describe as clickbait. The title is, I Choose Heroes Before Martyrs Any Day. And the little bit that probably got people most frustrated was the following passage, especially considering this time of Easter. He wrote that Jesus was falsely accused and cruelly crucified does not make him a better man or his teachings more true than if he had lived comfortably to a ripe old age. Yet the religion he founded took the cross as its symbol. The depth of his suffering has no bearing on the validity of the Christian message, but has lent its wings around the world and across the millennia that followed. The fact of the crucifixion has warped rational analysis of the doctrine it is said to support. Did anybody notice what I've done with the quote there? He's from the Times, and it's in Times New Roman. No, nobody, I'm a dad. Forgive my dad jokes. Everybody else has to. So I'm not going to get drawn into the intricacies and the details of this discussion around how Matthew Porris has, has gotten his analysis wrong. Um, but what is clear is that here is a man, okay, who does not understand the good news of the gospel. He doesn't understand what we were celebrating last week. However, in Luke's gospel, we read about some people who didn't understand, some much more surprising people. Back in Luke 9, we read about two occasions where Jesus predicts his death with the disciples. And the second time we read in verse 45 that they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. And again, in chapter 18, verses 34, when Jesus predicts for a third time, we hear that the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. However, here in Luke 24, after Jesus has risen and returned to them, we read that Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The disciples had been following, learning from, serving with, so much more with Jesus. Yet until this point, they didn't understand. They didn't fully grasp because Jesus needed to open their minds to the scriptures. And we need the same. There's a reason why we pray for Stuart each week before he comes and speaks to us. Why Graham prayed for me. We can put in the hours of preparation, we can read, we can train, we can learn from others, we can hone a public speaking craft, we can compare text, decipher all of what's going on in the scriptures. We can do all the human things possible to understand God's word. But if he doesn't open my heart and my mind to understand, if he doesn't open your mind to understand, then it's just words. It's noise. And it's challenging to see this with this group of disciples because of two important reasons that it reminds us of. Firstly, it wasn't just the 11 apostles who were there. There was at least Cleopas. There were most likely others. We know this from previous verses. The scriptures were meant for us all to understand. Jesus can open all of our minds to the good news. It's not just for whoever's speaking up at the front. It's not just for your elders. It's not just for your leaders. It's not just for maybe who you think is, oh, they're great, they really know their Bible. Jesus can open all of our minds to understand the scriptures. So we need to take this book seriously because Jesus took it seriously and he took us understanding it our need to understand, for our minds to be open seriously. (coughs) Secondly, it reminds us that being part of this church, saying you're a follower of Christ, doing all the things a follower of Christ should do, doesn't guarantee that Jesus has opened your mind to this scripture. It doesn't guarantee that you have fully realized what has been accomplished for you at Calvary. We need to hear and we need Jesus to open our minds so we can understand. So, here Jesus has opened the disciples and the followers' minds to understand the scripture. And the focus of our understanding is clear from verse 46. He told them, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance. For the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So he tells them who? It's them. They are witnesses. He tells them where? He tells them to go to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He tells them when. Once they have been clothed with power from on high, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them how. They are to preach. They are to tell people this good news. And most importantly, he tells them what. They are to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And as we've seen, this wasn't just the apostles. This was for all of Jesus' followers. This is for all of us. This is for all of us who know him. Jesus has realized victory over sin and over death and he's including us by sending us to the nations to speak this truth in his name under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit which the Father has promised. And what we share is clear. Jesus is the Messiah who suffered, died, and rose again. Repent and be forgiven in his name. As with those from Jerusalem, even those farthest from the light, those farthest from the truth, can embrace this message and enjoy his grace. So Jesus has displayed the reality of his death and resurrection. The wounds in his side, his flesh and bones, his hands and feet, the risen king, ultimately, intimately down on his hunkers with his followers, with the children of God. And he's opened their minds to understand the scriptures, to understand what it means. The Messiah that the whole world, the whole Word of God has been pointing to. So, finally, to our response from verse 48. You are the witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When, they, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, out of the, when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The context here is quite nice in that Jesus ascends from Bethany. It's a town about two miles outside Jerusalem, so not very far. And we know of it from John 11, when Jesus attended the wake of his friend Lazarus, wept with his sisters, and then brought him back from the dead. Some commentators wonder if this alive again Lazarus may have been present to see Jesus' ascension. Isn't that a nice thought? Who knows? Maybe. But it's an interesting detail that reminds us of this real human, intimate realness of what was going on here. So, thinking about the response to Jesus' death and resurrection, what the disciples display is clear. It's simple obedience. They returned to Jerusalem, as Jesus told them. In the early chapters of Acts, then, we read that they preach repentance and forgiveness in his name in the temple. They stayed there continually. They didn't leave Jerusalem until after the Holy Spirit was poured out of Pentecost in Acts 2. And this is a challenge for us. Having had their minds opened to the Scriptures they then obey what Jesus commands. They get on with what he told them, how he told them, where he told them, and when he told them. And what did they see? Incredible success. The church grows. Christianity expands. It reaches out to the far corners, far beyond anything they could possibly have imagined. It's a simple lesson to us as we seek to serve God and share his good news. But we can also look more closely at their hearts. Before even mentioning the return to Jerusalem, we read that they worshipped him. This is our first response to Jesus. Jesus. This is the first response to knowing the reality of what he has done, of his death and resurrection, his conquering over all that was wrong. When we truly encounter the risen Jesus, when he opens our minds to understand what he's done, we have no option but to praise him. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Jesus' followers had lost their rabbi, then he'd returned again, and now he was gone again. And yet, their reaction is to worship with great joy because now their minds had been open. Now, for the first time, they could see clearly. Their reaction is to worship with great joy every week after opening god's work opening god's word here in church what do we do we sing and worship it's our right and proper response to what we've heard to the truth that we've heard about the reality and the realization of jesus grace and his victory are we full of praise are we full of joy and are we then ready to step out in obedience to go to the nations as witnesses to his goodness, his forgiveness, and his victory, to the transforming power he brings in our lives. I've got bad news for you, if you are. You can read on and hear what happened to the apostles. Most of them were martyrs. It wasn't an easy time. It was difficult. But they knew who they were doing it for. They knew what they were doing. And they knew what was waiting for them. What had been won for them. And now that family of God that they went out as. That witnessing that they did led to us here on Carmonie Hill worshiping God, opening his scripture together and serving him. It led to our brothers and sisters in Central, down the road. Led to my brother's church in North Wales, my sisters in South Korea, Led to Lindsay and Japheth's church in Nigeria. It led to where Heather worshipped in Cambodia. It spread across the word, the world because they went out and simply obeyed what Jesus commanded. This is the reason why we get to meet here today, why we get to sing songs of worship why we had 16 new members join us last week, why our kids are getting to hear gospel truths in the next, next building, it's almost as if what Jesus said would happen would come true. It's almost as if what was prophesied all those years ago was real. Almost as if we can trust this Savior to open minds, to transform lives, and save souls. I received a, a little message from a cap hound this week. Um, it was an innocuous message by paperwork, not very exciting. And then they tied along a second little message which read like this. P.S. You must have prayed hard. We got a house. Thank you. And three praying hand emojis. <laughs> these, these aren't Christians. These aren't followers of Christ. But they could see that there was the hand of an almighty, powerful God on what had happened in their lives. That was eight years in the working. It's almost as if when we pray, God moves. It's almost as if Jesus is actually with us, walking with us. It's almost as if what he has told us is true. It's almost as if we can trust and believe and have faith in this risen Savior. I'm going to finish up if you guys want to come back up. This part of scripture is incredible. We haven't even touched on Jesus blessing his followers as he ascends into heaven. Imagine being there to witness that, Jesus ascending to heaven. We need to cling tightly to this reality of Jesus' risen life, his death and resurrection, and then standing in a risen body with them. This living Jesus who died for us, who was raised for us, who defeated death on our behalf. This Jesus who opens our minds to understand, to fully grasp this peace, this shalom that he offers. And then we have a response to make. To be obedient in taking his word, his truth to the nations in the power of his promised Holy Spirit trusting in the truth, the simple truth of the good news of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. All of this should be evident in how we outpour our praise to him, our praise to this God for his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. Let's stand and pray before we worship. God, we know you as Emmanuel because we believe you are here with us in our midst. That's what you promised. And we know that we can trust your promises. Move in us now as we worship. Transform us through the power of your scripture, of your word in Jesus' name. Open our minds to understand who you are, what you have done, how you are in charge of all of this life, how you are the Lord of this world, how you are the conqueror of death, how you are the Savior who died on our behalf. May your presence be so clear with us as we worship. Let our praise outpour with joy and an offering that is worthy of what you have done for us. May we know you, so truly that we worship you in spirit and truth. God, be with us now as we sing to you. Bless Shane as he leads us. God, may our offering of praise be worthy of this incredible
0: risen Lord. Amen.